1: Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. I'm not Alex. I'm your host, Holt, and I'm joined by the one and only tender king of Memphis, JB. How's it going?
2: Doing pretty well, Holt. We've had a very eventful weekend in our personal lives. One of our longtime friends got married this past weekend, uh, and we had a grand time at the wedding. Of course, it's on a fall Saturday. We don't really like weddings in the fall, but you know, it's someone that you've known for a long time, like... Definitely got to go and, you know, be a part of the festivities. But we're still able to watch a lot of football this weekend, too. And, man, we had an eventful weekend, at least in the SEC. Yeah, we really did. Um, do love our friend Adam, and
1: we congratulate him on getting married. Um, but, you know, definitely don't recommend the fall weddings. But that's okay. We still went. Still had a good time. It was pretty low-key. Wedding went pretty quick. We did have the game on on Alex's phone. Um Alex couldn't be here tonight because he's making the drive back from Memphis to Atlanta. Um, that's why he has missed a lot of these Sunday <laughs> podcasts because he's always traveling so much. But I guess that's just the life he chose. Yeah,
2: he's he is definitely the traveler. Like he's a traveler like Chris Stapleton. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast, See what I did
1: there? <laughs> this podcast is very pro uh, Chris Stapleton. Um, but yeah, so getting right into it, obviously the big game of the weekend, Alabama-LSU. Um, LSU with a huge win on the road in Tuscaloosa, Joe Burrow, huge game, uh, huge win for Ed Orgeron, Um Really just a really exciting game, like, all around. Um, what do you think it was about this LSU team that was able to kind of um, move the ball in Alabama like so many other teams weren't able to do for LSU?
2: I think it's just the balance that LSU brings. Like, Joe Brady is just such an excellent game planner, like, I mean, not just him, but Inzminger, too. I mean, those two guys, you know, have a great chemistry, and they've really been able to utilize Burrow's talents. Another thing I like about Burrow is his ability to move around in the pocket and create plays, you know, with his pocket presence. But, I mean, let's let, we've got to give credit to uh, Clyde Edward hilaire Like, he is an outstanding running back. And, I mean, he's one of the more underrated players, not just in the SEC, but in the entire country. And, I mean, this LSU team, to me, just plays with an edge. And... They don't even I don't think there's any team that's really in their heads. Like I mean everyone talks about Bama being in LSU's heads. I think that's really more applied to the fans. This LSU team came with an edge. They came motivated and fired up. And I mean they completely outplayed Alabama. I mean they never uh, trailed once in this game. I mean they were in control the whole time. And Ed Ordron uh outcoached Saban. I mean, it's that's kinda hard to believe, but he outcoached him in this game.
1: Yeah, I think it says a lot about the talent difference, um, especially in the secondary for both teams. Um I thought I think LSU just has a little bit more talent in the secondary than Alabama does right now. They don't have like that true lockdown corner like we've seen in the past with like, you know, Drake or Patrick or D. Millener, um, you know, uh, Marlon Humphreys and some other guys. They don't really have like that lockdown corner that they can really take away the other team's best receiver. Um, I just really thought that LSU's receivers were able to do pretty much whatever they wanted to in this game, and um, really made a lot of plays. And you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from Joe Burrow or uh, Joe Brady, uh, but those receivers to me were were crucial in this game. Uh, a lot of people talk about mobile quarterbacks beating Nick Saban, but if you really look over the you know the last few Alabama losses, a lot of them have been to teams that just have receivers who can win one on one matchups and just like. Uh, You know, make great catches over defenders in traffic and then, you know, just beat man-to-man coverage and get open. You know what I mean? And that's what LSU's receivers were able to do.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I definitely agree that um, LSU's uh, defensive backs were a little more talented. I mean, I think LSU's defense overall is better than Alabama's defense. I mean, LSU's defense has really come along in the last few weeks. I mean, yeah, Alabama did score 41 on them. But LSU's defense did make a lot of big plays in this game, too. Namely, uh, the interception before halftime that – really uh, put LSU in a position to uh, comp- take complete control of the game. And, I mean, just not just that, but also some, uh, you know, stands on defense holding Alabama to a field goal, you know, in the red zone. I mean, LSU's defense did enough in this game, you know, to make a big difference. And also, I mean, LSU's offense just, you know, they can't, they rose up to the challenge. They made up, you know, for the last few years, not being able to score in Alabama by scoring 46 in Tuscaloosa.
1: Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I was actually just doing the math in my head. You have to go back for the last six years. Alabama has held LSU to less points than LSU scored on Saturday. Over the last six years combined, LSU hasn't scored that many points against Alabama. Like, I mean, you have to go all the way back to 2013, like counting the 2013 to get above the forty, you know, 46 mark um, for total points scored. I mean, Alabama just absolutely dominated LSU's offense the last, you know, however long it's been. Um, basically the last decade, and um, for LSU to come out and really kind of have a statement win like this was huge. Um, I thought for Alabama, like, Tua did play a great game, and, I mean, those receivers were able to still, you know, create separation to make plays, but really the story in this game for Alabama and for Tua was the two turnovers. Obviously, though, on the first drive, Alabama goes right down the field. They're in scoring position. Um, it looked like Tua was about to be able to, be able to run in the, for the score, or at least be pretty close to it. And then he just drops the ball, LSU recovers. Um, And that was kind of like the first big mistake. And then the other one was, you know, obviously right before halftime, uh, LSU scores with, um, you know, I I don't know, maybe like 30 seconds left, something like that in the first half. And then uh, Alabama comes out and it plays aggressive, which I like, but Tua immediately throws an interception, leads to another LSU touchdown right before halftime. So LSU is able to get two touchdowns right before half. And then the ball to start the second half. And to me, that was really uh, the moment when you just really knew that this was LSU's game and they were going to be able to to get the win in the end.
2: Yeah, I mean, LSU just, you know, they were in control most of the game, like I said. Actually, I'd say pretty much the entire game they were in control. And they took over when on the first possession when Tua fumbled the ball, scrambling to his right. And uh, LSU, you know, picked it up and they drove 92 yards in six plays. And, you know, instant fashion, too. And after that, I mean, it was just – that really set the tone for LSU and that entire team in that game.
1: Yeah, and obviously Alabama did make a big comeback in the second half, getting back in, which, I mean, you knew they would. Um, You know, Najee Harris had a huge game. Um, You know, 19 carries, 146 yards and a touchdown, and also had three receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown. Just really – um Finally kind of, I guess, lived up to the hype. I know Alex has been hyping him up for like five years now, ever since he was like a sophomore in high school or something. Alex has been talking about him. <laughs> um, but he finally was able to, uh, I mean, not his first big game, but obviously, um, you know, really made his presence known in this game and got them back in the game. But, you know, like you are saying, I mean, Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they were just too much in this one. Um, you know, Edward hilaire also had a big game receiving nine, nine receptions for 77 yards and a touchdown to go along with the 100 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Just incredible performance. I think he's the first skill position of player player to score four touchdowns against the Nick Saban defense in his tenure at Alabama, so obviously really impressive there. Um, but um, moving on from the Alabama-LSU game, obviously that was a great game, and we could talk about that forever. But, you know, you're going to hear about that stuff everywhere, and I like to think that's the C.S.L.O.S.M.A. podcast. We like to spread the love a little bit. Give uh you know, pass pass around to so talk about everybody, you know, so everybody feels included, uh, everybody's in on it. You know, if you want to hear about Alabama and LSU all day, you know, you can just watch ESPN. So we'll uh, we'll move on a little bit and um getting away from the games a little bit. Um I mean, I guess we can not talk about the game first, but really it's more about what happened after the game. Um that was the Arkansas Western Kentucky game. Western Kentucky beats Arkansas in Fayetteville 45 to 19, just absolutely laid it on Arkansas. Um, complete and total domination. Uh, Western Kentucky, of course, led by former Arkansas quarterback Ty Story, who comes back and gets his revenge. Um, I mean, as far as, like, we'll talk about Chad Morris uh, in a minute, but, like, as far as the game goes, like, what kind of – what was your takeaway from this one?
2: Uh, Just absolutely abysmal effort by the entire Arkansas team. I mean, I, I, I thought that Arkansas at least would have given them a fight. I did pick Western Kentucky to win this game. But I did not expect this game to uh, go the way that it did. I mean, just absolutely abysmal, especially on offense. Like Ar- Ar- Arkansas could not get anything going on offense, and there was a ton of like missed tackles by the defense as well. And I mean, and that includes like some some misplays that Western Kentucky had, like some a lot of dropped passes that you know weren't Ty stories all. They just had you know crappy receivers, you know, making you know not being able to make the catches. And Western Kentucky, I mean, just completely, you know, blew this thing wide open. I mean, I think the score at one point, I think, was uh 35, or no, we got up to 38 7, but it was 35 7 at halftime. I mean, the game was already over. I mean, it, it's just, you, you, plus this game is at home, too, in front of a very small crowd. I mean, it was on just, senior day on senior day, I mean, it was just, it's, this is a horrible, I feel horrible for these seniors, too, for them to have to go out like this. I mean, it's, It's not fair to them that they had to get they had to put up with this you know these last two years Um, it's definitely not the result that they wanted but now of course with the head coach uh, being you know fired Arkansas can now look forward to the future and I mean I don't think the cupboard is really necessarily bare I think if they make the right hire they could definitely be uh, possibly even competing for a bowl in year one of the new coach's tenure depending on who they do hire
1: yeah, I mean, whoever they do hire is definitely going to have to find a quarterback. I mean, that's pretty obvious because, um, you know, obviously Starkle and Hicks did not play at all in this one. It was all Jones and Jefferson. Uh, neither one of them looked particularly good. Jones was 3 of 10 for 27 yards in a pick. Jefferson was 6 of 15 for 60 yards in a pick. Uh, but when you look at the stat line, the thing that uh, really is kind of criminal – um, if you think about it, was Rakeem Boyd only getting eight carries the whole game? Now, like, I understand that, like, you know, maybe the game got away from it a little bit. And, like, once you get behind, you, you know, you feel like you have to throw it more. And, you know, maybe the defensive lineman was, you know, taking away the, the running game. But Rakeem Boyd had eight carries for 185 yards and two touchdowns. Like, I mean, he literally, like, every time he touched the ball, he was making a play. And they just did not get him involved at all. I said before the game that he might get the ball 50 times in this one. And I mean, I just, I don't know how. Like, I just feel like if Raheem Boyd would have gotten like 20, 25 carries, um, the odds of Arkansas competing in this game would have been significantly higher.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't, I, it's hard for me to even want to describe this game. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just sad. I mean, I don't know what the best way, the best word to use, but. You know, just a sad day for Arkansas fans. I mean, it's the worst game in the program's history. I mean, this is the lowest of the low for Arkansas, and I mean, you can't get any worse than this. I mean, they got two more games left. You know, against some decent opponents. Uh, you know, they got Missouri at home for the uh, final game. I mean, next week is going to be an absolute travesty when they have to play LSU. But uh, I think they do get a week off. Uh, actually, no, they don't play LSU next week. They got a week off right now, so that's actually a good thing. Because LSU plays in Oxford next week, but I mean, of course, LSU. I mean, they got to go to Baton Rouge. I mean, that's gonna be you know a shit show. But maybe the final week against Missouri at home, you know, on Black Friday, maybe they can come out and uh, you know, put on a showing for in this game, and you know, end the season on a good note. And and by then, they might already have a new head coach, you know, hired, and you know, build on some momentum for the program.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then obviously, the big news coming out of this, Chad Morris, Arkansas's coach, was uh, relieved of his duties. <clears throat> As the head coach to Arkansas, um, didn't even make it through his second season, um, zero conference wins for him. Uh, only two total wins. Um, obviously, I believe what well, two of them were against SCS teams, maybe. And then I mean he State. he beat Colorado State, and then That's, he beat yeah um, they beat like Eastern Illinois in like his first game.
2: Yeah, and and the and the crazy part is Colorado State is the best win of his tenure so far. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine. It. Any yeah. other game that and was, that was the game
1: that was tied going into the third quarter. Yeah,
2: it was tied in the third quarter, and they they won by you know double digits at the end, making it look like it was a blowout. But that game was not a blowout. Like Colorado State was in this game for three and a half quarters, and yeah. you know Arkansas just was able to put it away at the end. Of course, I remember the halftime celebration when Chad Morris danced. That was the pinnacle of the Chad Morris era at Arkansas in this you know short twenty two game tenure.
1: Yeah, and I mean the good thing is. Um, They did have a pretty solid recruiting class last year, especially talent-wise, or excuse me, especially skill position-wise on offense. So, you know, they have some pieces to build around on offense, and I don't think that, you know, like you were saying earlier, for the new coach, it's not going to be a complete overhaul like it was for Chad Morris unless they hire, you know, some coach who's going to come in and, you know, go right back to the Brett Bielema style of, like, two tight ends and, like, you know, fullback and whatever else. Um, You know, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, especially, you know, if they go someone more spread, which I'm sure they will. Um, They've got some talented young receivers that should be able to fit right in. And, you know, as long as the new coach is able to go out and find a new quarterback, um, you know, maybe, whether it be a transfer or, um, you know, a true freshman or whatever, like they're definitely going to need someone to step up. But um, just looking at like some coaching candidates, like, you know, obviously like there's the you know, the regular names like Mike Norvell. Some people said Blake Anderson, obviously, at Arkansas State. Um, what are some names that are kind of standing out to you that you think would be a good fit at Arkansas?
2: Yeah, there's actually two names, in my opinion, that I think would take the Arkansas job immediately if offered. And these are two guys with SEC ties and, you know, lots of, and lots of experience in the SEC. One of them is Lane Kiffin, currently the head coach of Florida Atlantic, former offensive coordinator under Saban, and also had a one-year stint at Tennessee. Another one is Hugh Freeze. Now, the big wild card with Hugh Freeze is whether or not Greg Sankey would approve a hire for, of Hugh Freeze at Arkansas. Because if you remember last year, Hugh Freeze was interviewed by some schools in the conference, I think, by Alabama and Tennessee to be the offensive coordinator. and He may have been even looked at by LSU as well. But Greg Sankey ultimately blocked his hiring into the conference, and he ended up taking the head coaching job at Liberty. I think those two guys would definitely take the Arkansas job if offered. Another name that I like if they go the up-and-comer route, there's two names actually. One of them is Bill Clark at UAB. Uh, he's more of a defensive-minded guy, but the job he's at at UAB is just outstanding. I think he's destined to get a Power 5 job at some point. This could be his first one. And then also uh, Mike Norvell out of Memphis. What I like about Norvell is that I think he can come in. The way his offense is set up, he, you know, he, his offense is not much as much different from Chad Morris's. And I think he can have instant success if he comes in and maybe have Arkansas competing for a Bowl in year one. And plus he just he's 38, he's young, he's a hot shot. Uh, he's got connections uh, in the Memphis area now. He's got connections in Arkansas from playing at Central Arkansas. He's got apparently, I hear he's got family in Northwest Arkansas as well. I definitely believe Arkansas is going to take a look at him, and I'm sh- I guarantee he's definitely on the short list. I mean, those are just the names to me that jump out. I mean, I know you mentioned Mike Leach, too. I think Mike Leach would definitely listen. I don't know if he would take the Arkansas job, but I do think he would listen because he's always, you know, like the SEC, and maybe this is a good time to get out of Pullman because he might have already peaked at Washington State, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of names, like you mentioned. um, But as far as, like, the type of coach they should hire, um, I just don't think they should take a chance, honestly. I I don't think – I mean, look, Hugh Freeze, if they could get him, if, the, you know, I don't know, again, like, I'm sure that if they really wanted to, there isn't really anything Greg Sandy could do. I'm sure Greg Sange could, like, strongly advise against it, but I don't think he has the power to say, like, no, you're not hiring. This This guy to be your coach. Um, but that being said, like, I just, I feel like Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze are both kind of just wild cards, and with the last two hires you've made, um, you know, kind of being, uh, like, basically really bad, um i just think they it's it's in their best interest to hire someone who's um you know what you're going to get out of them you know what i mean like um that's why like i just think mike leach is such a perfect fit for arkansas right now um i just think that you know exactly what you're going to get out of him um you know that you're going to be a competitive football team and he's shown that he can turn programs around quickly i mean washington state was an absolute joke before he got there i mean i think they had one, maybe, like, one game in the two years previous before he got there. Um, like, I mean, honestly, like, making Arkansas right now, like, not look that bad when he took when he took Washington State over. And, um, you know, obviously, like, him recruiting is not amazing. He's not a great recruiter. But um, great coach, has an, a, a really outstanding system, and you know you're going to get competitive play out of him. I just feel like that's, that's a really good hire. I feel like if you hire Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze, they might be really good for like a year or two, but then they might leave, or they might, um, you know, kind of leave the program in shambles, like they've kind of done in the past. Um, you know, you look at Lane Kiffin, pretty much everywhere he's been, um, he's maybe been good for like a year or two, and then like, you know, has to either leaves or gets fired or like, it basically just always goes downhill after a couple years. So, um, you know, I mean, I I love Lane Kiffin. I think he's a great coach, but, um, I just wonder you know, how is it going to work in Arkansas? How long is it going to last? Is this going to be like a short-term, like, Band-Aid, or is this going to be like a long-term solution? And I I just feel like they should try to go maybe the more safer route.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I do agree that Mike Leach would be more of a safe route. You know, he's established, he's older. Um, One thing I will mention about, you know, guys like Hugh and Lane Kiffin, is that they would bring instant, you know, marketing to the program, too, because both of these guys, you know, very charismatic people both highly involved on Twitter. Uh, they would put Arkansas back on the map instantly, you know, with recruiting and image-wise. But here's another wild card. I will throw one more wild card in before we move on of a coach that could possibly be in the running for this job, and that's uh, Gus Malzahn. Why? Because if Gus Malzahn loses his last two games with, with Auburn uh, against uh, Georgia and LSU, I got a feeling that he's going to be out at Auburn. And if, if he wants to make a quick rebound, I I guarantee Arkansas, if they're still you know searching for a coach at the time, they might be looking at him too. And I think Gus Mal- Malzon would definitely revel at the opportunity to uh, go back to his home state of Arkansas and take over the Arkansas job, in which he's coached at before, and also coached high school ball in, in nearby Springdale too.
1: Yeah, this is, I was actually just about to mention him also. Um, would definitely be a good hire there, another safe hire. I, I feel like he would at least – you know, bring some stability to the program and you know, you know you're gonna get back to being at least competitive, you know what I mean? Like at least like respectable um under that. And I feel like that's kind of what Arkansas needs right now. They just need to get back on some stable ground and have a solid foundation um to build on going forward. Um but uh anyway, so moving on to the next game we're gonna talk about is the Tennessee-Kentucky game. Um this is a really ugly game in the first half. So uh, um Kentucky got out to a thirteen nothing lead um in the first quarter. Um it really looked like they were controlling the first half. Tennessee's offense was very, very stagnant. Uh but in the second half they make the switch back to Garantano, who comes in like just absolutely on fire. Um goes seven of eight for one hundred fifteen yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Um just did a really good job of coming in and leading Tennessee back in this one.
2: Yeah, Garantano, uh you gotta go he has uh, really kind of made a, a nice turnaround from where he was at the beginning of the year and even uh, almost midway through the season. I mean, he's, it seems like now he's starting to get it a little bit and he's not overthinking it and he's uh, not getting, you know, rattled in the pocket and, you know, trying to make and making bad decisions and forcing it. I mean, he looks a lot more comfortable in Gen uh, Cheney's system. And, I mean, Tennessee, uh, you know, they could have easily folded when they were down 13 nothing. And, uh, you know, they they battled back in the second half. And uh, another thing is that all 13 Kentucky's points came in the first quarter, and Tennessee's defense uh, completely, you know, shut Kentucky down for the final three quarters of the game and made one of the more impressive stands of the season uh, when Kentucky had a first and goal, you know, with less than two minutes left inside the five-yard line. And they held Kentucky scoreless and ended up getting the ball back and were able to uh, run the clock out and ultimately prevail with the victory. Uh, Tennessee's definitely made a uh, 180 from the beginning of the year. I mean, they're 5-5 five and five now. I um, mean, very likely to make a bowl, which, you know, is outstanding compared, you know, to what they were when, at one point in our power rankings, they were the worst team in our power rankings for the first few weeks of the season, and now they're seventh in our power rankings. And, and Kentucky, on the, on the other hand, I mean, this loss is not really that devastating for them. Uh, even though they lost to Tennessee, I mean... I mean, if you wanted to go to history, I mean, they lost, they've lost. they lost to Tennessee 33 the last, you know, 35 years. But Kentucky has a favorable schedule the rest of the way. And, I mean, I still think they can get definitely get to six wins and make it to another bowl, which is really the expectations this year and a slight rebuild for Mark Stoops.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, for Kentucky, obviously just not a lot of them, you know, they can't really do a lot on offense right now. I mean, I love having um, – You know, Bowden at quarterback is definitely a lot of fun to watch, but they're obviously very limited in what they can do. They only threw the ball seven times in this game uh, for 25 yards. Um, You know, the second touchdown they got came off of a block punt. You know, they really only had, like, one long drive the whole game, and that was the first drive. Um, It seemed pretty obvious that Tennessee kind of was able to figure some things out defensively, and, you know, Kentucky just wasn't able to make any adjustments at all um, after that first quarter after the, like, initial – you know, wave of their offense. They just they just weren't able to really do anything and um, you know, it looked like Tennessee with that fumble late in the game, uh giving Kentucky a short field, you know, might have been the only way that Kentucky had a chance to to come back and win that game. And um, you know, obviously get down to the goal line, have that huge um goal line stand like you're talking about there was obviously huge and, you know, it looks like Tennessee's defense is really starting to come together. Um, which is good to see. They're definitely a, a talented group. They've had you know some questions on the defensive line early in the season, but they've kind of gotten short up. You know, some of those young linebackers are playing really well also. So, um, really uh, solid performance for Tennessee's defense. They're definitely improving under Jeremy Pruitt, and you know I think, uh, pretty much every year for the next year or two, um, they're gonna get a little bit more talented on defense with Jeremy Pruitt bringing in his players and continue to build more depth on the defensive side. Um, Cause we you know, we definitely know Jeremy Pruitt's a really good recruiter and a defensive mind, so I think you can expect that defense for Tennessee to continue to get better. Um and then, you know, for Kentucky going forward, I mean, you know, just like you said, I mean, it's a shitty loss, like it sucks. I know they hate losing to Tennessee. Um, you know, it feels like every year I mean, it is pretty much every year that they you know, they always seem to find a way to lose to Tennessee and this definitely is a game that they feel like they should have had and there's always going to be a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda's in games like this if you're a Kentucky fan. Um, but, you know, when you don't have a quarterback or, you know, you have a wide receiver playing quarterback, as explosive as he is and as much as we love watching him play, like, it's just – it really limits what you can do offensively. And, you know, there's a reason that not everybody has, uh, you know, someone like Lynn Bowden playing quarterback. I mean, it just yeah. really limits what you can do on offense. Yeah,
2: it makes the offense predictable. And I don't know if – I read a tidbit from uh, Jeremy Pruitt's uh, game presser. But I mean, he told his players on on that before that uh, you know first and goal stand, like he told them, like on before that fourth goal play, like don't even play the pass because then you, he you know they're gonna run it, and you got more guys and they have blockers that you should be able to make this play, and you know one of their players is able to make the play and make the stands, and I mean Peru had uh, just he knew he, he made the adjustments in the second half. uh, in the beginning, uh, there was a little more of a conservative game plan to try to respect the pass, but once they realized that Bowden was not going to be able to throw the ball effectively, uh, they really just started uh putting eight guys in the box and forcing Kentucky you know to try to outpound them and just really in all, all in all, they weren't really that successful in the second half until really that final drive on the short field until Tennessee was able to muster enough strength in order to stop it
1: and the one game that may have been even uglier than that game which is pretty hard to believe. But uh, the App State-South Carolina game was one of the worst offensive games I think I've ever seen. Um, App State managed barely over 200 yards of total offense and still won this game. Um, Seems like the most Will Muschamp thing I've ever heard. Um, They had 97 rushing yards on 41 carries, Appalachian State did. And then they only had 115 yards passing with zero touchdowns and an interception. Um, just really not a great performance by Appalachian State, but South Carolina, you know, was even worse on the ground. Twenty-seven of twenty-one. Helensky was able to make some plays in the passing game, but uh, App State comes with the win, twenty to fifteen, in South Carolina. Um, really, pretty much puts an end to any chance South Carolina has at a bowl game. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that they can't beat Texas A and M next week on the road. I wouldn't predict them to, but it's definitely not, you know, out of the realm of possibilities. But the odds of them being, them beating Texas A&M and Clemson are pretty much zero. So, I mean, I think yeah. a bowl game is pretty much out of the question for South Carolina now.
2: Yeah, I would definitely say that uh, South Carolina at this moment is probably staring down a 4-8 and eight season. I mean, if you're South Carolina, I mean, yes. I mean, if you can just find some way to go into College Station and beat A&M and get yourself to 5-6 and six just to give your team a chance, I mean – that's the best case scenario for South Carolina right now. Just to maybe have a five and six record and have a shot to upset Clemson at home and you know on senior night, that would be the most ideal situation for South Carolina. But losing App State was devastating. I mean, it pretty much ended their bowl hopes. I agree. Yeah,
1: I mean, Holinsky did have a big game, but again, I mean, the completion percentage isn't outstanding. I mean, he threw the ball fifty seven times. Um, you know, and it's just. The the offense has been kind of, you know, he puts up big yardage numbers, but they don't put up, like, great total numbers as an offense. And, um, you know, he was 32 of 57, 325 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Um, you know, definitely yardage-wise it looks like a good game, but when you consider he threw the ball 57 times, I mean, um, you know, definitely not the best performance ever. And they just weren't able to get anything going on, on the ground at all against App State. Um, really good performance by them. I mean, look, I have said it's a well-coached team. They were coming off a really tough loss to uh, Georgia Southern last week. Uh, so they were able to bounce back and get the win. Obviously this is huge for them. This is their second win over, uh, a power five team this year. They won at North Carolina earlier this year as well. So, you know, I mean, definitely not like a scrub team. This isn't like a, you know, like a really bad loss for South Carolina. It's definitely not a good loss. Cause you know, you should be able to win this game on talent alone and it's at home. But, um, you know, definitely, you know, not not the worst loss ever, but, you know, when you start looking at Will Muschamp, I think some South Carolina fans are getting a little restless with him. And, you know, we knew that this was going to be a rough year for them. Um, just look at that schedule. Yeah, man, just really tough schedule. And, I Rural. mean, when you consider the fact that they, you know, they could possibly go 4-8 and eight and still have beaten Georgia on the road, like, that's just crazy to think about, like, um... You know, I mean, number one for Georgia, like, that looks really bad for them. Really but, bad loss now. You know, it, it, it's just, you know, for, for South Carolina, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, look, like, Will Muschamp is not the best coach in the world, but I feel like you kind of knew that when you were hiring him. And I just, you know, I, I just, I don't know if this is the year to fire him just because the schedule was so tough. And I think pretty much even the most realistic South Carolina fans weren't expecting much more than 6-6 six and six this year anyway. I mean, you know, when you consider that he was able to, to pull the upset in Athens and, you know, they've been a pretty competitive team all year, like, I just – I feel like maybe you give him another another year next year just because, you know, he's a really good recruiter and, um, you know, it was just – a everything kind of fell against him this year with Bentley getting hurt in the first game and having to play a true freshman all year. Like, you know, I, I just – I feel like they should give him another year, but I know a lot of people are, are thinking about firing him this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Buschamp, in all in all, has built up enough goodwill – for you know, making him, taking South Carolina to a bowl, you know the first uh, three years in his tenure, but you know not making a bowl this year. I mean, I definitely think he's gonna be feeling the heat. I mean, I would put the odds right now at fifty fifty that he's fired, even if they finish four and eight. But if I had to pick, I I do I do, I would actually say that Muschamp will get another year in Columbia, even if they do finish four and eight. But I mean, I, would, I still wouldn't be surprised if they did. You know, ultimately go in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely,
1: you know, just like I said, I definitely feel like he's deserves another year, but you know, again, if they fire him, I, I wouldn't blame him anyway. Cause I mean, we know that Wilmot Shemp's not a great coach. He's never going to be a great coach. Um, he's never going to, you know, I I mean, look, I mean, I said the same thing about Ed Orgeron. So, I mean, I guess I'm wrong, but I don't, I just don't ever see him like winning the SEC East or anything. Um, but you know, at the same time, it it was a really difficult situation this year that he was dealt. Um and uh last thing on this game, I mean, I know you saw like the last play of the game when Helensky missed like that wide open receiver in the end zone. Yeah, game. that like, was
2: man, I mean that that was that was gonna be the game winner right there, Hold. I mean he had he had him wide open, you know, in the end zone, had no no App State defender near him at all. And Helensky just, you know, flat out missed him. I mean, Holinsky's made a lot of great plays this year. Uh, He's going to be great for South Carolina, but that was just one play that I know Helensky would like to have back.
1: Yeah, and that was, you know, (laughs) I mean, I just don't know how, but it it happened, and it's over now, but, man, that dude was just wide the hell open. I mean, App State's defense, like, how do you get that wide open? Like, I just, I don't know. Um, But anyway, so moving on to uh, the Georgia-Missouri game now. Um, Obviously, Kelly Bryant was not able to play in this one. Uh, Powell played most of the game, um, did not put up great numbers. And then Bazelar played as well, um, put up slightly better numbers, but still not very productive. Um, Georgia's offense was not super explosive in this one either. This was a pretty boring game. Uh, Georgia pretty much just won like a very just ugly, boring, like, you know, Missouri was never in the game at all, but like Georgia's offense didn't really like blow them out either.
2: No, and you can definitely tell that uh, Missouri is missing the presence of you know uh, Kelly Bryant. I mean, not having him has definitely uh, definitely helped, definitely hurt the uh, Missouri offense. I mean, they've definitely lost a few steps without him. But that's not really the biggest problem to me. The biggest problem is uh, how this team has performed on the road this year. They've been absolutely horrible on the road. Uh, I think they've uh, far as far as I know hold. I think they're five zero at home and 0-4 on the road, so this is a very trick-or-treat team. They win all the home games, and then on the road, like, they're just not a road team. Like, I don't know what it is about them, but they can't ever put it together on the road, and luckily for Missouri, uh, they got Florida coming in next week, and there is a possibility that Kelly Bryant will play in that game, and, you know, that could be one of those crazy games in which, you know, Missouri just flips a switch again, and they go back to the, the same team, you know, that beat, you know, South Carolina early in the year, and, you know, looked like a Legit ICC East contender.
1: Yeah, beat Ole Miss as well. Yep. Um, and dominated West Virginia. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, to me, like, the story really for Missouri has been the running game, and especially Roundtree. I mean, Roundtree just really has not been able to get going this year. Um, Had a huge year last year. Um, He's had a couple of good games this year, but just not the same numbers that we saw from him last year. Um, Just really disappointing. And then for Georgia, I mean, you know yeah they were boring on offense and you know more of the same they're not explosive and all that stuff but i mean they didn't really have to show anything in this game they were in control the entire game um all they had to do was not you know be terrible and i mean no you look at Fromm's numbers i mean, like 13 of 29 for 173 yards and two touchdowns like you know obviously didn't have a turnover but that completion percentage yeah. definitely needs to improve and um, you know, it's not like they were dominant on the ground either. I mean, 38 carries for 166 yards, I mean, that's good. But yeah, this was definitely not a very fun game offensively.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I have to, you know, address the elephant in the room, if you will. This Georgia offense is not as potent as it has been in the last few years. I mean, it almost seems like they've regressed, you know, from the last two years to now. Like, I just don't know if this offense is good enough for them to, uh, you know, beat teams like LSU or even Alabama in the SEC Championship. I mean, the defense is obviously really good, but uh, I just don't know if this offense to score enough points because I can guarantee you LSU or Alabama, one of those two would be able to score uh, probably 30 points on this Georgia team. I don't think Georgia could score 30 on them. No, I don't
1: think so either. And that's definitely, you know, something to watch for the rest of this season, but I think it's really something to watch in the off season to be like, how does Kirby Smart um, approach the situation? Obviously, he promoted from within when Jim Chaney left last year. Um, you know, and it just it hasn't really flown that well. We know about Georgia's offensive line. We know about those running backs. We know about Fromm and his ability. And they've got a couple of talented receivers, but it's just uh, the offense is just not clicked. It's not very dynamic. Yeah. And you just wonder, like, is is he going to be, um, you know, the type of coach who's going to – you know is he going to be able to make the right decision, even if it means firing the offensive coordinator and bringing in someone, like, you know, with a little bit more – track record and a little bit more explosive offense or is he going to be like the stubborn Les Miles coach who's like you know just don't just don't turn the ball over on offense and let's let our defense win the game
2: yeah I mean I as of right now I mean the the promotion of Coley does not look uh you know very promising at the moment you know this late in the season I mean we, especially with the with the players you already have in place you know with the awesome offensive line a uh, NFL drafting a quarterback that's going to get drafted in the N F L soon, and uh, you're not able to uh you know generate more yards and points than you should. I mean last year's offense was better, and then the offense two years ago when was a freshman was better too. I mean it's just this is the worst offense that Kirby Smart's had in the last three years, and it's not even close. I mean it's just it's not good. It's not a, it's not good enough for them to win a championship, even though they are still in position to win one.
1: Yeah, and um, moving on. Uh, Probably one of the more depressing performances um, of the season so far, and that's saying a lot with some of the stuff we've seen in the SEC this year. But Vanderbilt's offense managing only, like, what is this, 118 yards of total offense or whatever it is, or is it 120? Let's see, 128 yards of total offense for the whole game. Uh, Just absolutely abysmal performance in this one. Um, they get shut out. 77 passing yards, 51 rushing yards on 40 attempts. Just, I mean, just an absolutely brutal performance by Vanderbilt's offense. The defense actually came out and got some big stops early in this game, got some turnovers, played pretty well the first half, enough to keep them in the game. Uh, But Vanderbilt's offense was so stagnant, they could not establish any kind of a drive on offense. And Vanderbilt's defense eventually just got worn out, started to get up some plays in the third quarter, and, uh, you know, you look at the final score and you're just like, "Wow, Vanderbilt's terrible." But I mean, defensively, they—I thought they came out and they played well and they—they they, you know got some stops and kept their team in the game. But it was just like their offense could not help them at all, like even a little bit. No, no.
2: Uh, it's when you look at the stat line here, you know, 560 total yards, 128. It's like one of those games when you're playing on NCAA 14 and you're playing on the easiest mode and you're playing with the best team against the worst team. I mean, that's the kind of numbers that you expect here. And it's just it's absolutely abysmal. I feel really bad for Derek Mason too. I mean, he's he's trying his hardest. I mean, he's he's a great game planner too. I just this team that he has this year, you know, they obviously are missing a lot of the the pieces they had from last year. You know, guys like Kyle Shermer, and uh, you know, all a lot of the seniors that they have had in the two deep on both sides of the ball. Um, uh, this it's it's been a rebuilding year. I mean, I, going into preseason, I think we talked about this being a re possible rebuilding year for well not possible this was going to be a rebuilding year i just i don't think we expect them to be as bad as they are but it just shows that they're missing a lot of the pieces from last year and i really do hope that uh, vanderbilt will not uh you know get rid of mason i hope they uh decide to you know give him another year because i think mason can still win at, at vanderbilt i mean he's already proven he can win there he's, he's gone to two bowls with the program and I, I i hope that they uh you know will keep him and keep on uh You know, let him do his thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, it was also kind of good to see uh, Florida bounce back. Um, I definitely thought this was definitely a letdown spot for them after the loss to Georgia last week and, you know, their season kind of being, um, I don't want to say lost, but, you know, sort of not really getting to the point Um, where they want to be, like, you know, winning the East or whatever. So, you know, now that that goal is kind of out the window, you just kind of wondered how they were going to respond. And they responded really well. Um, You know, like I said, the first half was pretty ugly for Florida, um, but it was even uglier for Vanderbilt. And then the second half, Florida was really able to turn it on and, uh, you know, win this game convincingly. So it's definitely good to see. They're going to have another challenge in Missouri next weekend, as as you, you know, said earlier. If Kelly Bryant's ready to go in that one, then, you know, maybe – uh, Missouri can get up for that game. I mean, I, I don't really know what to expect out of this, this Missouri team, honestly. But I kind of just have a gut feeling that they have another good performance in them, and you know we'll just see. Uh, we'll see if they're able to figure something out next weekend. We'll see if Florida is able to uh, to kind of keep it going. Um, but uh, moving on to the last SEC matchup of the weekend, um, probably the least exciting out of all of them was the Ole Miss uh, New Mexico State game. New Mexico State came into this game. Uh, zero eight um on the season, and uh, left zero nine. Uh, Ole Miss is able to get an easy win, forty-one to three. Uh, Plumlee probably had one of his better games passing the ball, eleven of seventeen for one hundred twenty-four yards. So, um, definitely like you know pretty good performance for him, ninety-seven point eight QBR, um, which was um you know I believe his highest of the season. And then obviously, um, <laughs> made a lot of plays on the ground as well, twelve carries, one hundred seventy-seven yards, two touchdowns. But that's expected and then you know Connor had a 100 yard game as well with two touchdowns so uh not really a lot to talk about in this one but Ole Miss was uh, able to get the win in this one and uh looking forward to hosting uh LSU next week
2: yeah and of course Ole Miss like next week's game with LSU I mean I mean they're 21 point underdog from what I can see and you know they're four and six I mean they're pretty much staring at you know losing bowl eligibility you know next week but you know, you know, crazy things happen. Maybe they can catch LSU napping coming off an emotional victory in Tuscaloosa. And maybe they can make make this interesting and uh, keep the crowd in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't count on it. But, um, you know, obviously, uh, LSU going to Ole Miss and Alabama traveling to Mississippi State. Um, you know, I, I would love to say that both those teams are going to be, you know, recovering. But I just... Um, I don't see any chance for an upset for me to win those two teams next weekend. Um, but uh, looking at the national games real quick before we get out of here, obviously Minnesota with the huge win at home over Penn state. Um, I was really impressed with the quarterback for uh, Minnesota in this one, uh, 18 for 20 for 339 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, just a flawless game by him. And I was really impressed with the Minnesota offense. Uh, they really were able to create some explosive plays in this one.
2: Yeah, they were. And, I mean, like you said, Tanner Morgan had a really great game. And he's had a really good season, you know, thus far. He's been, uh, you know, not a lot of mistakes. He hasn't thrown a lot of interceptions. thrown a lot of touchdowns, a pretty decent amount of yards, too. I mean, P.J. Fleck, as we know, he, he is rowing the boat this year with that program. I mean, he, I mean, I, I have to admit, I did not really have a lot of confidence in Minnesota to win this game at home just by what I've seen from Penn State this year. I mean, they've looked really great. You know, against against some really good teams this year, and then of course Minnesota they've had to squeak out some games against some mediocre teams, and even though, even though they were at home, like I just I wasn't that confident in them, but you know they proved me wrong, and you know a a real man has to admit when he's wrong, and I was wrong about this Minnesota team. They look really stout and legit, and uh, the rest of the year, I mean, I, th- I don't know if Minnesota is good enough to uh, you know beat Ohio State, and you know in the Big Ten championship game if they make it there. But, I mean, I think they're a solid, uh, you know, top 10, top 15 team, which is, you know, a lot better than what I, I thought they would be. I thought they were more like maybe just a borderline top 25 team, honestly, even though they were undefeated. Yeah, so definitely
1: a solid win for them and P.J. Fleck. Um, you know, definitely just, I mean, I don't think anybody saw that coming, but they they were able to get the win at home, great home atmosphere for Minnesota. And, uh, you know, the fans were really rowdy in that one. It was a really cool atmosphere. And, um you know, Baylor also stays undefeated in this one, had to go to triple overtime to beat TCU. This is a really um boring game for most of the game, but um got really exciting at the end. Um I feel really bad for you if you had the under in this game. It was at forty eight, um and the game was nine to six, um with about three seconds left in the game, and the over still ended up hidden because of you know, because of the overtime. Um but Baylor was able to get the win in triple O T. Yeah,
2: and I, I, I... This is the opposite of Minnesota. I'm still not sold on this Baylor team. I mean, they they've won a lot of close games. I want to see how they perform next week against Oklahoma. They got a big game at home in Waco against Oklahoma. They got college game day coming to town. This will be their chance and I and, and I will say this, even though I'm not sold on this Baylor team, I really do like Matt Rule. I think he's got the program heading in the right direction. I just was not expecting this Baylor team, you know, to really you know, be 9-0 this year and be, you know, in contention, you know, this soon. I thought they would just be a solid team this year, but, you know, not 9-0. and And, like, their stats, you know, offensively and defensively haven't been that impressive. It's just, you know, they're really good at taking care of the ball. Their turnover margin's really good. And uh, they've been able to uh, find ways to win, you know, against a lot of the, uh, you know, mediocre teams in the Big 12. But you know what? They win, and that's all that matters.
1: Yeah, and uh, one of the more surprising scores of the weekend, not a ranked matchup, but um – um well, I guess one of the teams was ranked, but how about Virginia Tech blowing out uh, Wake Forest at home? I mean, thirty six seventeen. I guess maybe not like a traditional like blowout, but I mean that's a pretty significant win uh, over a pretty solid team for a team that's kind of been struggling this year.
2: It is, and I mean that's impressive for Fuente too. I mean, I feel like this Virginia Tech team has been up and down all year, but you know, getting that win against Wake Forest at home is really good for that program. And now uh, they're they're bowl eligible at six and three. They're not going to be in that position they were last year, where they had to play an extra game. You know that was canceled from earlier in the year to uh, get bowl eligible. Like they were already bowl eligible. You know with three games left to play, and I mean Fuente is doing just enough. You know to uh, not get on the hot seat. And, you know do enough just to get by. But I know Virginia Tech fans in Blacksburg want to be better, and I think they can be better. But uh, Fuente, but you know it's a good step in the right direction by blowing out a really good Wake Forest team.
1: Yeah, and then obviously the Texas-Kansas State game was pretty exciting as well. Kansas State got out to a big lead. Texas was able to come back, hit a game-winning field goal, and uh, that's kind of been a thing under Tom Herman. It's like they, um, they've they been pretty ugly the last couple of years as a football team. Uh, you know, you you look at uh, some of the wins. They had the big win over Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. to beat Oklahoma last year, and they played LSU really tough this year, but – um outside of those big games they really struggle uh, against some of these mid-tier Big 12 teams.
2: Yeah, they do, but you know that's a good home win for Tom Herman, uh, come, making the comeback against Kansas State, really good defensive team and uh you know it's good that's a good response for them after you know a few losses they've taken.
1: Yeah, and then uh, kind of a surprising one, kind of off the radar a little bit, but how about Southern Miss blown out UAB 37 to 2? Uh really impressive uh performance there by Southern Miss. Um you know obviously, this was a huge conference matchup um in that division, and uh so they must able to come away with a win at home um you know still maybe, a believer in Bill Clark, yeah, I know I definitely am too, and this you know the thing is is like a lot of people have been saying like, oh, like you know i obviously like read a lot of message boards and stuff, and people are like, you know oh like." Uh, Bill Clark, y'all think he's a good coach? Will look at this score or whatever, and it's like, well, this was like a rebuilding year for UAB anyway. Like this yeah. was supposed to be a rebuilding year. The, they fact, that, to be the good. fact that the fact that they're—I mean, I know their schedule like ended up being really soft in the beginning, but like the fact that they're even in this position this late in the season is actually pretty impressive, like by itself.
2: Absolutely, I mean, like the job that he's done at UAB is outstanding, and this was a rebuilding year for them.
1: And then probably the most exciting game of the day was the uh, Oklahoma Iowa State game. Um I actually thought this game was over and like stopped watching uh but Iowa State came all the way back um scored a touchdown um and instead of kicking the extra points to tie ended up going for two with like you know about 30 seconds left um and did not get it um I do appreciate the uh you know the thought by the Iowa State coach to go for it there Matt Campbell who I'm obviously a huge fan of um is a head coach um you know I definitely feel like anyone who can get him should hire him yeah, um, I agree. But uh, definitely a really good performance from him. And, you know, Jalen Hurts continues to put up big numbers. Uh, no surprise. 18 of 26, 270 yards, two touchdowns, and also has 68 carries and two more touchdowns on the ground – or 68 yards on the ground and two more carry – or goodness – and <laughs> two more touchdowns. So uh, uh, pretty excited per- performance from him as well. I think it kind of – you know, I, I, Joe Burrow is the Heisman leader right now, but, you know, obviously, like, I still – You know, I still like to pull for Jalen Hurts a little bit. He's definitely put on some big numbers, too.
2: Yeah, I would actually say Jalen Hurts, uh, even though they've lost one game, I would probably put him second in the Heisman race right now, uh, even ahead of Tua.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that also. And it kind of sucks for Chase Young because I feel like he should have been up there, too. But now that he's got the issues with NCAA, I just don't really feel like that's going to happen. But uh, that being said, um, that's pretty much all we got this week. Try to keep it a little bit shorter. Um, You know, I feel like we always try to say that, and it ends up going longer, but you know what that's just how it is start talking about football get excited and that's how it goes so uh you got anything else you want to add jb i
2: do not uh wisconsin won for me this week against iowa i finally uh was able to not pick iowa and not fall for it and wisconsin ended up you know winning a tough game against iowa you know big robbery there i love the big 10 robberies
1: yeah definitely one of the more exciting ones and um Definitely sucks. I'm probably not going to pick Iowa ever again, but that's <laughs> how it goes. But uh, anyway, thank you guys for listening, and I uh, will catch you next time. Peace.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SECSlowSmoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend, because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.